As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney, and I am so stoked to be back this week, ready to cover the winter meetings. It is going to be a <laughs> thrilling week of transactions that we're going to have to anticipate on this podcast right now. So what do you guys think? What What is going to happen this week? This is so exciting that we're back. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm touching my earpiece here. I'm getting a... Getting a note that there appears to be some kind of shutdown in place, uh, and I assume all of our listeners know already. Who wants to just do the the quick, you know, the 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 three minute overview of the state of things? Then we'll go backwards into some Cubs stuff from last week. So just just lay it out. Why don't you jump on that grenade and lay out what's going on right now? The owners have locked out the players, and there's a transaction freeze. They like. Uh, front offices can't discuss free agents, can't can't talk to agents and try and sign free agents. They can't talk about trades. There's no communication between coaching staffs and players on the 40-man roster. Uh, and there's a lot of things being discussed. Well, they're not a lot being discussed at the moment, but there's there uh, are negotiations taking place at, at different times, and it's mostly about money. That's the bottom line here. Uh, I think I think Jason Stark re- reported that rule changes aren't even on the table anymore, which I found really surprising. Uh, so they're just coming out and saying like it's all about the money. Uh, and you know, blame whoever you want, but uh, it's billionaires versus millionaires, and and uh, the rest of us suffer waiting for this to happen. And hopefully, it'll be done by my my. I've stuck with early February. I'm sticking with it now. I'm hoping that, uh, like as always, the negativity that's just kind of overflowing at the moment is just you know how it usually is, posturing and. When it gets to a point uh, like like we saw with the deadline of the shutdown looming and free agent signing with the deadline of, you know, uh, spring training, hopefully that gets some action going and and cooler heads prevail and, and we get to spring training on time and a season that's at, at worst. We need the season to start on time. Right. We can't have a, a season delayed games lost or anything like that. That would just look terrible. I think 
I think losing spring training games would look really bad too, but that's that's just my thought. Who knows exactly what owners and players are thinking? I mean, I think Commissioner Rob Manfred and, and the thirty owners are going to wake up and realize what's best for the good of the game, and you know, Tony Clark <laughs> will corral all his players into unified vision. I mean, we, I mean, <laughs> we can't even like pretend to go down that road. Like, we're it'll be February when they start missing those. Uh, you know, revenue generating uh, scrimmages in Mesa and all throughout the Cactus League and Grapefruit League. <laughs> By the way, we've been <laughs> I, that was great. I've never heard that before. Revenue generating scrimmages. That's like spring training games. That's what he's talking about. I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I it's wear, I'm, I'm trying to do the most absurd. Yeah, the most yeah. absurd way to describe uh, those games, <laughs> and that's it. You know, I mean, they. Uh, get fifteen thousand strong at Sloan Park. There, it's a nice place to watch a, watch parts of games or like uh, ideas about games there. Um, and yeah, you know, I was weird getting actual fresh air during this week. Normally, Sahadev and I are at uh, a hotel bar uh, until late in the night, trying to figure out what the Cubs are doing or not doing. This would have been a good one, particularly for your purposes, Brett. Like the Cubs actually would have been in on a lot of free agents. They would have actually done something. It wouldn't have just been that uh, Daniel Descalso signing uh, at the end of one winter meetings a couple of years ago. They would have been all over the place and we would have been super busy. And now we're, uh, you know, stuck in the, in the freeze here. We got to throw out the Descalso references now. They're, they're gone. We can no longer yeah. be like, oh, man. <laughs> it's especially because you can't even say that that was the last biggest multi-year positional free agent sign. That's what we had to kind of chip it down to. Because right. now after John Gomes, right? They, they and now Jan Gomes has it's a yeah. positional free agent, multiple years, more than Descalso. Uh, we'll get to Gomes in a moment. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, for my for all my joking about losing the winter meetings this week. Um, from my perspective as a purveyor of rumor mongering and obsessive watches and that kind of stuff, I feel like we got that part, right? Because the lead up to the um, lockout deadline essentially basically functioned like a really aggressive winter meetings. I mean, I, I've been I've been doing this side of things for a very long time. And while the winter meetings of yore, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, 2013, 14, 15 were just amazing to follow. The last few years have been still good. It's still sort of the best part of the offseason, but it's it's been a lot more tempered in terms of rumors and things happening. And I don't just mean because of the pandemic. I mean, even in the, the freeze-out years before that. And uh, this week, by contrast, really starting with the day after Thanksgiving, uh, things just accelerated. I mean, it was a really fun weekend to follow the rumors and then, of course, to try to swat away the angry Cubs fans who were like, see, the Cubs aren't going to do anything again. And then try not to take too many victory laps when the Cubs invariably did uh, pivot in terms of the timeline of their decisions to be like, OK, we need to kind of get a little more aggressive on the timing of this stuff. And um, I think that it's unfortunate that the only reason that that happened around baseball was because of this looming lockout deadline. You can't sort of artificially recreate that despite people's desires. I think to have something like that in the future, it's, it's never going to be quite like this. Uh, but while we had it, I certainly enjoyed it. And I certainly enjoyed what the Cubs did with that time. 
Yeah, I, I mean, well, first of all, Brett, were, were you not getting agitated online? Was that not you tweeting or was that Michael tweeting? If you, well, I, I'm not going to throw Michael under the bus. I think he maybe, <laughs> maybe was a little, I, you know, that is a nice thing when someone else has the keys to the account. You, it sounds like, like you're about to fire a Cubs hitting coach. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but. Well, we're on our 15th uh, associate Cubs writer in the last 14 years. No, uh. I mean, my, I was, as I always am, I'm this total mealy mouth former lawyer who, you know, I was trying to walk that line of <laughs> if the Cubs don't change their approach to acknowledge what's happening in this market right now, then it would be frustrating. You know, it was always like couched in, if this happens, then I'm going to be frustrated. Or if, if this and that, they have to do this, they have to, you can spend intelligently, but right now the whole spending intelligently thing has to be coupled with the fact that you can only spend intelligently if you actually sign some guys, and that's happening. Right, right. So, I mean, that was as saucy as I got. I thought, and we could talk about this, because I, I noticed, I believe it was your article, Sahadev, you had a quick mention that the Cubs were never in on John Gray. I think that sets up sort of a fascinating after-the-fact discussion that that was a flashpoint for Cubs fans, on Twitter at least, that night when right. that was all happening, and then sort of that was the final deal of that evening where the Cubs were not in on what seems like a, a reasonable four-year risk on John Gray. Um, that was when a lot of people sort of flipped their lids and little did they know that a, a day or two later, the Cubs were going to be seriously attached to Marcus Stroman on a deal that I think looks considerably better, all things considered than the John Gray deal. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I tried not to be too chapped with fans who were frustrated by how things were playing out because you have to remember it was all happening against the backdrop of multiple years of not yeah. perhaps, you know, doing the things that we thought that they should be doing or could be doing. And so I got it. I just wish more of it wasn't directed at me. It's like, you don't right, got right, to right. yell at me. That's, that's always the frustrating part. With it, right. Uh, well, I'll admit that I the the Stroman signing did come as a little bit of a surprise, uh, but it makes perfect sense. I just didn't think he was going to get two or three years. Right? It, it all comes down to years. Uh, people that say they don't want to spend at all, it's just not the reality. As I think the Stroman signing shows that they're willing to spend right now. What they're averse to doing is giving out a lot of years, especially to pitchers at this point in time. Now that could change. That could change. They don't view themselves as, okay, so you look at who are the big spenders right now. It's it's Texas, it's Seattle, uh, Detroit. There's probably a couple others, right? They'd be acting like Texas. And I don't think they, they think what Texas is doing is very smart. I don't think they believe that. Uh, Detroit and Seattle. Texas, I think those owners are totally going to sell that team in two years, right? So they're doing something. Yeah. That's what's happening. Like, because it's, yeah, this isn't maneuvering to, yeah, because you have a bunch of young talent on the verge and you're about to jump into a race. Uh, Maybe they see the AL West as a, is a place where you can jump in because Houston's losing Correa potentially. I don't know. Uh, the A's are selling. I, I'm not sure uh, what what exactly that is, but I, I think it's you know trying to. I think what you're suggesting is is probably accurate. Seattle and Detroit make like that's what the Cubs want to be in a couple of years, where they have a bunch of young talent coming from a system that you've done a, a lot of work building up. 
And then you start spending around those guys, putting, okay, we want a front of the rotation guy. Okay, we want our cornerstone defensive shortstop uh, that can hit. Uh, things like that. Uh, those that That's not going to happen this year. You don't. They're not going to give the extra year. They're not going to go five years for Kevin Gaussman. Robbie Ray had a qualifying offer attached to his name. That's not going to happen right now unless his value went down so far that it was like, well, now it's worth it to sign him to it. He wants to, he's willing to take a two-year deal. He's willing to take a three-year deal. And suddenly, okay, that draft pick seems worth it to sign a guy uh, of that upside. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Cubs are spending money again. They they will. They have to. I, I think Patrick and I expected that. I think what was surprising, and I think was surprising to the Cubs, uh, at least initially, was how quickly things were happening pre-lockout. And I think that... That's probably more, I'm curious. I should talk or talk to more people around the league about this, but I wonder if that was more player driven and players are kind of sick of, of sitting through, you know, going deep into spring training or going deep into the winter, not knowing where they're going to be. And, and they said they use that lockout deadline as, as a motivational factor for players. Or, I mean, for teams as well to kind of say like, I'm ready, let's get this done. I want to, you know, I have three offers already and I'm going to get it done before the lockout hits. And, and they use that to kind of push the market their way. Uh, but yes, there, there were, there were guys like at like the third tier, I'd say, right. Alex Wood, Di Scalfani, uh, there's probably some other names that I'm I'm not thinking of right now. I think the uh, Alex Cobb, like guys like that, guys uh, the Cubs uh, would have liked to have signed those guys in addition to Stroman, right? One of those guys in addition to Stroman, I think. Uh, but the the market kind of now correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the market has like a pattern in most years, right? It's like the first year, you know. Uh, kind of the market that they have when they sign isn't always clear, but you know the market that they have. The second tier kind of goes first, and then that third tier, uh, maybe one or two of them are picked off, but not all of them. And then, but they all went and it was all scattered and it was kind of all over the place. And I think, and I think that kind of threw a wrench in the Cubs' plans. Luckily, they'd they'd moved down the road far enough with Stroman that they could act uh quickly and get it done i think they would have been willing to i think it was a consideration to wait post lockout but thinking about it they realized wait a second there's going to be teams sitting here looking at their board and then realizing uh-oh there's this x y and z only available we, we better go push harder for stroman we better you know when you sit there and think about it and stare at your team and stare at who's available I think that can make you, uh, you know, a little more aggressive or rethink things, whatever it may be. So his market may have uh, gotten bigger. Uh, the number of teams going after him may have gotten bigger. And so the Cubs pounced, which I think was a smart move. Looking at the deal, it's a, I mean, it really is a good deal. This guy performs. I know he's not the bat misser that Jed uh, told us they were going to go after. I don't think that matters. They'll, they need to get guys that get results they need to now the the next few steps are you have to improve the infield defense I think that's an absolute must I know there's going to be calls for Carlos Correa I think I'd love to see that I think that'd be fun it'd be much more exciting to cover a team with Marcus that signed Marcus Stroman and Carlos Correa and hopefully some other peripheral pieces uh I don't think that's the only route to go. I think if you look for versatile infield 
defender, that type of profile, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. And versatility, moving guys around, being able to play Nico multiple places, I think these are all considerations that you have to factor in. And 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 that's that may be a more logical direction than going all in on Korea, which, again, I'm not saying it, rule it out. It just comes down to, I mean, what they told us is true. What they said is is what they mean. They're looking for value. They're looking for smart signings. Stroman is the definition of that. When you look at his results and the contract he got, uh, they'll give the big AAV. They're just not going to go a ton of years. What's the the one team we haven't mentioned that has spent big this offseason? The Mets. And right. with all due respect to the Tigers and the Mariners, the Cubs should be operating a lot more like the Mets than teams in Detroit and Seattle. And I think that while it was a good sign – uh, of things to come that they invested in Stroman and didn't fall back on maybe overthinking things or getting too cute or like uh, betting too much on stuff and ignoring a long track record of performance. It's still you know, this deal is like roughly half of the commitment you made to John Lester. It's essentially filling you know, the two years on the Darvish contract that you dumped in the middle of a pandemic. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how they use the rest of those resources. And, you know, I think we all kind of don't expect it to be used on one big name player on one big time deal, but there's still a lot of ways for the Cubs uh, to get better that there's just, you know, so many, areas they could attack and I think uh we all we all know how teams operate with this uh kind of loose uh you know collusion light or whatever you want to call it like they all have their uh logarithms and they're all they're all going to know that these players have been sitting around for months at home with like their families their friends all asking where are you going to sign where are we going to be for spring training there's going to be a lot of kind of antsy players here and, I, and I'd imagine the Cubs are going to be pretty aggressive whenever um, an agreement is reached. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah. Um, okay. So resetting a bit because there's my mind is like churning. Part of it's that we haven't talked in so long doing this, but then so much has happened. There's there's so much that I want to say in response to what you guys have said and to tee up some other thoughts. Uh, one that I don't want to get away that's real specific and is interesting is when the Cubs traded you Darvish, we all know 
the circumstances of that were tied to revenue shortfalls in the face of the pandemic, thoughts about where the team was going, about the dearth of talent in the farm system. And we know that it was those two things that combined to really drive that trade, the desire to build up the prospect base and to, to unload some salary. But I do want to give a little bit of credit, especially given what's happened, to something Jed Hoyer said at the time, which was that a significant consideration was when you sign a deal like the Darvish deal, you're assuming you're going to get the most value at the front end of it, and you're not expecting that you're going to get much value at the back end of a deal like that. So to be able to trade that while chipping in some money to get significant prospect return is something that in a way is always compelling to almost any team, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of wanting to unload money, regardless of wanting to build up your farm system. It's just, it's not a deal when you've signed a free agent that you typically get to make. Now, something you said, Mooney, that kind of triggered that for me is, it is like the Cubs traded you Darvish for a very similar last two years contract-wise in terms of the money on the first two years of Stroman's deal. But he's five years younger. He probably is going to project for better numbers in the next two years. And the Cubs get that cash of prospects that they got in the deal. I mean, there's a little bit of finesse in there. I'm just saying. And I loved you, Darvish. And um, particularly when you consider the year he had in San Diego, it was, it was not great. It was uneven. There were some injuries. There were some performance deficits. So something to consider about how that multi-year maneuvering shook out. We can put a pin in that. Um, another thing to mention that, that speaks to some of the broader points you guys are making about what the Cubs are going to do from here and what they have done so far is I feel very heartened in something that we discussed at length in the second half of last season, after the trade deadline, the Cubs had unloaded. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, well, here comes the next multi-year rebuild. And while it is a process of rebuilding your farm system and wanting to get contributions from your farm system, the point we kept making on this podcast, and I think each of the three of us also wrote about, is that a team like the Cubs, an organization like the Cubs in a market like Chicago, does not have to go annually through this process of like, okay, is this year a balls out competing year or is this year a complete bare bones, stripped down, lose a ton of games year? That shouldn't be the calculus every year. It should be an evaluation of, well, how can we set ourselves up to compete this year? Yes, we're still going to think about what our optimal years for competing are, but there should almost never be a year where you can't at least give yourself a chance, set yourself up, use some of those financial resources that you have to, to sign some short-term deals and see what you can do. And I was very heartened, therefore, to see and over the course of the last week and a little bit before that, that clearly the Cubs do view their situation similarly. You, While I would not argue that signing Marcus Stroman means the Cubs now have to go out and go get a Carlos Correa or like really put the foot down for 2022, that doesn't mean that. But it does mean that they aren't just punting on 2022. I mean, there is no reason in the world that you make that particular signing. Yeah, we could make some arguments about the Gomes signing that, that would be shorter term, but or in terms of like what might happen with Wilson Contreras. But you don't go get Marcus Stroman if you aren't thinking, okay, we at least want to see what we can do and be in the first half of 2022. And that's all we said all along, that the Cubs should be viewing the next couple of years. 
we get it. The, the window in terms of your most significant impact from your farm system pieces where the, uh, you know, CBA pending, the financial structure, the structures of the game are such that you want to have a lot of those guys arriving at the same time and it allows you to do other things, yada, yada, whatever. That all is still true, but that doesn't mean you don't still try to put yourself in a position to compete in a, in the 2022 season, if you can do so with short-term money. And so, and the Cubs have backed that up. That's like exactly what they've done so far. And so I, I was pleased to see that. And I would look personally, as you were suggesting, Sahadev, to, to see quite a bit more of that coming out of the lockout. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to still track the Correa stuff. I, I certainly am because it's fun and it is plausible in, in, in some respects. But I think that what you should be looking for more is the Cubs trying to build a 2022 winner using their, their financial ability to say, oh, we can sign some short-term guys and see what happens. And, you know, I think it's really easy to make the argument that even if you don't think 22 and 23 are like the prime window years of contention, if you're Jed Hoyer in your front office and you say, you know what, 24, 25, 26, those are years that I think will be like 15, 16, 17 type thing, right? I think there's still an argument to be made to go after Correa and, and be really aggressive. You've uh, Someone wrote this on, on Bleacher Nation that the next class isn't that exciting, doesn't look that exciting, right? Uh, the class that after was our, that has... That was our assistant hitting coach who wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> he has since been let go, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, I think Otani is the big name after that. And Juan Soto is the big name in the following class. And and there's probably a half dozen or more names that, that are there that would really make sense to go after, but still next class 20. Uh, so after the 2022 season, not that exciting, no frontline name that you're like, this is who the Cubs should target. Even if it's a year early, 27 year old shortstop, a guy that can, uh, if, the Cubs have no shortstop knocking on the door. They're, you know, in all reality, most of these guys, they have a lot of shortstops in the minors. They're all at low A and below. Maybe one of them turns into a really great player. And frankly, the one that uh, most people would bet on is the guy furthest away and, and, you know, is a 17, what is he, 18 years old now, Christian Hernandez, right? One of them, even if he does make it, that's years from now. He's not, you know, unless he's just a phenom and next year just tears apart the minors i really you know that's that's years away and carlos correa can move off short carlos correa would be a great third baseman uh so i think there's a lot to be said that it makes a ton of sense it does it, it would make perfect sense for the cubs to do that add one more arm add some bullpen help and and you're not the your one crazy expenditure is correa and the rest are just filling in holes I think that you can make that argument. I also get why the Cubs will look in different areas first and, and look for value and look for versatile defenders and look in the trade market, try and attach a big contract and get more prospects. They're still looking for prospects. They're not done building up their system. If they can pull off the what the Red Sox did to get Jackie Bradley Jr. and those two prospects, 
they'll they'll do that. They'll look to do that. They've been looking to do that uh, since last deadline, uh, and and they'll continue to look. Those deals are just hard to pull off. They don't always work out. You have to find a team really willing, and sometimes you have to give something that's decently valuable. So the, they'll continue to search for play. They, they they're not done. This that's why I think hopefully there's a there's plenty of time left uh when the lockout ends and and we'll have a fun few weeks uh of of free agency and trades because i think the cubs will be busy they're they're still putting together a team that they want to be you know on the periphery of contention right it's not going to be a slam dunk contender it's hard to build that after what what they were working with at the end of last season and and per as far as the gomes deal goes I know so many people panicked and just assumed that was uh, that was that meant Wilson Contreras was being traded. But go look at the catcher market. They stated they needed a backup catcher. They desperately want to give Wilson Contreras more time off. The DH is coming. He can play first base. Get him off his feet. Get him days off. I don't think he should catch more than 100 games, frankly. I I don't think he should. Like, if he catches more than 100 games, something went wrong, in my opinion, because get like they believe he can be an elite offensive player. He's not an elite offensive player. He's a plus offensive player. He's a very good offensive catcher. But if he has more potential and, and potential to impact the game offensively, I say I'm all for that. And I think I think what you see here is is insurance. If he doesn't sign an extension and they feel they have to trade him, but it's also that's the going that's I know it's expensive for a backup catcher, but there weren't that many backup catchers available as nice as Robinson Chirinos was. It's really risky going into next year with what he would have been 37, 38 next year. That's a pretty big risk. We saw what happened last year with their backup catcher situation. They don't want to repeat that. So they're looking for some stability there and they're looking and Ross was pretty adamant talking about during the season, during that towards the end of the season about how. You need a backup catcher that you put in there that you feel can win, help you win games. You can't go in there and say like, well, we, we're like, that's a hole in our lineup. That's a guy that can't handle our staff. This is a problem type situation. And I think he felt that a lot last season. And, and he won't feel that as long as Gomes stays healthy. One thing that struck me of the Stroman deal was just how the Cubs, you know, during this buildup period would just talk themselves in circles. And, you know, John Lester, it was this whole elaborate courtship and it was years of talking about him. And, you know, the trip they made down to see you Darvish uh, at a luxury hotel outside of Dallas and pitching them on, you know, how good he could be with the Cubs and like sending videos to his wife about how uh, living in Chicago is the greatest and all this. And like, that seemed to be an area like where Theo really thrived in and it was selling and kind of like imagining these things. But, you know, I think sometimes too, you just have to like react and make faster decisions. I think the Cubs were kind of slow to react to this market this time. Uh, And then maybe it was just how rushed those zooms were. You know, we didn't get the whole Wrigley field or Spiaggia press conference, but it wasn't this like Marcus Stroman is the guy who's going to transform our culture. It's like, no, we have a really bad pitching staff and he's a really good pitcher (laughs) And, like, we have a lot of money, and he wants to make a lot of money. So, like, let's just go do this. And sometimes we don't have to overthink it into this grand narrative about um, the culture and the process. It's just like, no, a dude can pitch, and he probably won't get hurt. And if we're bad, we can always trade him, and we're not stuck on a long-term deal that's going to prevent any other moves. Like, they cut this to the bone 
had to do something and they did to at least give us something to talk about during like the first week of the lockout. <laughs> no, uh, no deer urine required in the courtship process. There. Uh, so I think that um, we can sort of wind down from here uh, with, again, big point to underscore not to lose sight of is that infield defense, man. That I know, well, we won't get there. There are other really compelling shortstop defensive options out there, which provides the combined benefit of freeing up more time for Nico Horner to play at second base, where he is truly special defensively. So it's it's kind of a double whammy if they can really target that. So I, I would be very surprised if that wasn't a really prime focus coming out of uh, the lockout when it does end, and that in turn two will keep Carlos Correa on the radar. Um, Sahad is right; his age is such that. It's not like you can't make the argument that he still is going to be a prime contributor in a few years. Um, it's it's still the case, though. I would, I guess, I'll be the moderating voice on that. Not that you're anything other than that side of, only <laughs> to say you would still expect his best years to probably be in the next couple of years, and so you would still. I do worry about his injury history too. Yeah, like investing he, he, that much money on a guy going forward with his injury history that that that's a concern. That's a factor. Something they have to consider. Yes, and uh, it'll be interesting, regardless of the Cubs, to see how his market plays out because now there are two very bright shining numbers that if you are him and his camp, you're like, well, we we got a top. Seeger's 325 million. We got to. Yeah. Uh, and or we got a top 341 for Lindor. We've got to. And you play with the years, you play with the opt-outs, you play with the AAV, all you want. It's it's gonna be tough to find the teams that are gonna gonna make that deal. So it, it'll be interesting to follow that. Um, I think from our perspective, obviously, during this period of lockout, there are still interesting things to dig into in the construction of the team to anticipate. I have no doubt the Cubs front office is going to be grinding away very hard to try to lay out their best plans coming out of the break, but we can't ignore that the big story is the lockout. It is the CBA negotiations. It is the potential that there are no meaningful, serious talks until after the holidays. And that sucks. Uh, It doesn't just suck for us as purveyors of content, but it sucks for fans. I think that do love that baseball has always offered something of a unique off-season experience uh, that for all the frenzy of a week like last week, for all the frenzy of NBA free agency, um, I think there is something cool about having this slow burn of several months to to be tracking these things. And we aren't going to get that this year. And that sucks. And it is the reality and the hope, I suppose, is that uh, the sides involved in these negotiations can make it worth it, that they can come together on a deal that not only properly values the contributions of the players in the sport, but that also has a, a long-term lens to creating the best experience for fans. I think we get very focused on the players and the owners at times like this, and I think we don't always remember the fans matter too. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of should be a pretty important factor in deciding how these things are going to be structured is, are we serving fans in the long run? So uh, I hope that we hear some things uh, over the course of the next month. We will be back at you uh, either in about a month or 
if there are things to discuss in the interim. So I don't want to create unrealistic expectations for your feed because I know you're all out there just smashing your refresh. <laughs> like, oh my God, when's the next on to Waveland? I need my guys. Uh, but we, again, we'll get at you when there is something to discuss. And in the meantime, we hope that all of you have a safe and happy and healthy holiday season. And uh, that's that's all for me. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. And we, we do love doing this. So we'll look forward to doing it again when the time uh, affords us. So take care. 